Welcome back, my friends, to Story Cuppings. I am so excited to share some spooky reads with you this month, my fellow creatives. And let's face it, different, just as different flavors of different genres appeal to various picky readers and working writers. Uh, I am one who, I'll be the first to say, it, not not all haunting stories are my cup, a uh, cup of anything. Um, but the the concept of a long curse, uh, not long curse, I should say, a long ago curse still carrying on into the modern day, and therefore is part of the what we consider to be uh, reality was too good to pass up. And this was another one recommended to me by another fantastic book reviewer online. And I'll be sure to share the link to their book review in the episode description. Um, this premise, it was also neat to come across after I'd written my own little bit of flash fiction about a haunting of a town that carries into the modern day and i'll share the link in the episode description too plus it also <laughs> reminded me of that uh leica or is it leica leica the the stop motion animation company that produced the movie paranorman something my kids really enjoy watching and it just hit me we haven't gotten it yet i should go pick that up anyway so hello <laughs> Let me, let me, after spending two minutes uh, meandering here, let me tell you what we're actually uh, taking a sip from today. That would be Thomas Old Hoyvelt's, Hoyvelt, and I apologize if I mispronounce the name. I'm just going to call him Thomas. But the story is called Hex. Let me read from the blurb so you understand why I was bringing up all those other things. Whoever is born here is doomed to stay till death. Whoever settles never leaves. So welcome to Black Spring, the seemingly picturesque Hudson Valley town haunted by the Black Rock Witch, a 17th century woman whose eyes and mouth are sewn shut. Muzzled, she walks the streets and enters homes at will. She stands next to children's beds for nights on end. Everybody knows that her eyes may never be opened or the consequences will be too terrible. Bear. I just I dig that, and uh, of course there the blurb goes on for a little bit more. I'm not quite a fan of it, but I, I, I get why. I, I would have just liked it ending at this first paragraph, and I'll show you what I mean in a second. The elders of Black Spring have virtually quarantined the town by using high-tech surveillance to prevent their curse from spreading. Frustrated by being kept in lockdown, the town's teenagers decide to break their strict regulations and go viral with the haunting. But in so doing, they send the town spiraling into dark medieval practices of the distant past. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I was already... You had me with the first paragraph. I mean... The fact that this witch for centuries is still able to just wander the town and just shows up in people's homes when people are too scared to do anything about it. You got me. Why'd you have to keep going? I don't know, because then it reminds me of that one uh, Bakshi film, Wizards. And, and I don't know if I anybody should be reminded of that one. Some people like it. 
That's their cup, not my cup, and that's fine. Okay. So let's see here if we're going to be getting a sense of all of this in the first chapter because uh, I didn't. I want to experience that spiral into into terrible dark medieval practices. You know, in in the story. Don't don't tell me you get to do that. Let's let's find out when we get there. <sighs> okay. Maybe maybe we already get a foreshadowing in the first chapter. Let's find out. Part one. And we have here today hashtag stoning. Now, right off the bat, part of me is like, okay, today, yeah, texting hashtag texting uh, Twitter, what have you, but stoning. I mean, whether you have watched just to throw out some more film references and literature references here, whether you've watched. Money Python's Life of Brian, and, and you know why people get stoned, or maybe you recall a story such as Shirley Jackson's The Lottery involving stoning, you know, stoning is never good, whatever it is being used for. We have, it's, it's a sure sign that someone is, someone is being intended to die. But the fact it's a hashtag, which right off the bat, I mean, it's, you have a sense of informality and youth. I mean, which does correlate with our second paragraph of the blurb. Um, the fact that social media would be referring to this. Hmm. But that it would be accepted. I think that's another fair point too. And, and this is Thomas here doing a little world, bit of world building right away to give us a sense that such a terrible thing, such a terrible act, uh, a bloody act, is normal enough in this setting to be a social media hashtag. It's pretty damn powerful there. Let's actually start the chapter. Steve Grant rounded the corner of the parking lot behind Black Spring Market in Delhi just in time to see Catherine Van Weiler get run over by an antique Dutch barrel organ. Wow, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to stop there. I wasn't expecting that. Well, all right, let's get, I don't know what else to say. We gotta keep reading. For a minute, he thought it was an optical illusion, because instead of being thrown back onto the street, the woman melted into the wooden curlicues, feathered angel wings, and, and chrome-colored organ pipes. It was Marty Keller who pushed the organ backward by its trailer hitch and, following Lucy Everett's instructions, brought it to a halt. Although there wasn't a bump to be heard or a trickle of blood to be seen when Catherine was struck, People began rushing in from all sides with the urgency that townsfolk always seem to, to exhibit when an accident occurs. Yet, no one dropped their shopping bag to help her up. For if there was one thing the residents of Black Spring value more highly than urgency, it was a cautious insistence on never getting too involved in Catherine's affairs. She got, she got run over by an organ, but she's not worth helping. What? What is these? What is with these people? 
I wow. So that's just one paragraph. My goodness, we're probably not even going to get like two pages into this because I'm going to keep stopping it. I apologize. But then again, that's the point of this podcast. It's the point of studying stories like this, just studying first chapters to understand what makes them grip us, what makes us as a reader want to read on, and what makes us as a writer see, oh, that's a really good way to do that. <laughs> or not such a great way to do that. So concern it, that's fine if we only get a couple pages in. In that first paragraph, we have a sense of, yes, of place, of Black Spring. Okay, we also have a sense of the attitude of Black Spring right there in that last sentence of this paragraph because we have a sense that people want to see what's going on, but they ain't going to get involved. I mean, someone is get literally gets run over by something major. Oh, let's see what's happening. Okay, never mind. And then they just move on. That says a lot about the mentality, again, about this town, which ties back to the fact that you can have a hashtag about stoning, and that's apparently fine. We're getting a lot about this town already, one paragraph in. Not too close, Marty shouted, stretching out his hand toward a little girl who had been approaching with faltering steps, drawn not by the bizarre accident, but by the magnificence of the colossal machine. At once, Steve realized that it hadn't been an accident at all. In the shadow beneath the barrel organ, he saw two grubby feet and the mud-stained hem of Catherine's dress. He smiled indulgently. So it was an illusion. Two seconds later, the strains of Radetsky March blared across the parking lot. He slowed his pace, tired but quite satisfied with himself, almost at the end of his big circuit. 15 miles along the edge of Bear Mountain State Park to Fort Montgomery and right up along the Hudson to West Point Military Academy. Which folks around here called the point, where he veered off toward home. Back into the forest, the hills. It made him feel good, not only because running was the ideal way to get to rid his body of the tension it accumulated after a long day of teaching at New York Med in Valhalla, it was mainly the delightful autumn breeze outside Black Spring that put him in such an excellent mood, swirling through his lungs and carrying the smell of his sweat to more westerly regions. It was all psychological, of course. There was nothing wrong with the air in Black Spring, at least nothing that could be proven by analysis now now here i gotta stop because what a bugger they had this blurb inside the jacket about the high-tech surveillance stuff because if not for if i didn't know that i'd be wondering well what could be wrong with the air in black spring i mean there's this whole illusion type thing going on and i'm starting to wonder if katherine van weiler would be the witch? I don't know. I could be wrong about that. We're not very far in here. And yet, if 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 I hadn't heard about this whole high-tech quarantine surveillance thing, I'd be wondering what on earth is wrong with... Why would he think? Why would there be a psychological thing about the air being weird in Black Spring? But I don't know. I don't have to wonder that. I know because of the flippity flapping flooping blurb in the jacket. Why'd they have to go do that? All right. Anyway. The music had lured the cook at Ruby's ribs to come out from behind his grill. Joining the other spectators, he gazed suspiciously at the barrel organ. 
Steve walked around them, wiping his forehead dry with his arm. When he saw that the beautifully lacquered side of the organ was actually a swinging door, and that the door was ajar, he could no longer suppress a smile. The organ was completely hollow inside, all the way to the axle. Catherine was standing motionless in the dark as Lucy shut the door and hid her face from view. Now the organ was an organ again, and boy, did it play. Oh, so this is a regular person, this Catherine. Just quirky. Okay. So, he said, still panting, his hands high on his hips, Mulder and Scully been lining the coffers again? Marty walked up to him and grinned. Says you, you know how much those fuckers cost, and I'm telling you, they're pinching pennies till they holler. He jerked his head at the barrel organ. It's a total fake, a replica of the organ from the old Dutch museum in Peekskill. Pretty good, huh? It's just an ordinary trailer underneath. Oh, so now we've got an, a pair of illusionists, and I, and I like that because considering the kind of story we're getting into here, we have uh, the potential need then for some sort of illusion, disguise, cover, so... This is a nice little bit of establishment here for any future goings-on later in the story. Steve was impressed. Now that he had a better look, he could see that, sure enough, the facade was nothing but a hodgepodge of mawkish porcelain figures and carelessly glued gigaws. I have no idea if I said that right. And badly painted, too. The organ pipes weren't even real chrome, but gold-lacquered PVC. Even the Radetzky march fell flat. An illusion, without the delightful sighing of the valves or the slapping of the perforated music cards that you could expect from an instrument of yesteryear. Marty read his mind and said, No, nah, I was an iPod with a big-ass speaker. Pick the wrong playlist and you get heavy metal. Eh, that sounds like one of Grimm's ideas, Steve laughed. Uh-huh. I thought the whole idea was to divert attention away from her. Marty shrugged. Uh, you know the master's style. It's for public events, Lucy said. For the fair or during the festival if there are lots of outsiders. And that's capitalized. So what could outsiders be referring to? Well, we know what outsiders is referring to because of the flippity flapping blurb. Okay, I'm going to finish this paragraph and then we'll wrap this up because clearly I am irritated. Okay. Well, good luck, Steve grinned, getting ready to continue on his way. Maybe you'll collect some money while you're at it. He took it easy on the last mile, heading home down Deep Hollow Road. As soon as he was beyond earshot, he stopped thinking about the woman in the dark, the woman in the belly of the barrel organ. Though the Radetzky march kept playing in his head to the rhythm of his footsteps. <sighs> I have to, oh man, okay. When it comes to blurbs, because I mean, there's there's more we can be saying here. And I want to, well, do we want to try and see if we can push forward? I'd, I'd rather not. I'm already irritated that the blurb has kind of killed some of the great nuances of this first scene and the little bits of foreshadowing and that's frustrating. I mean, the first chapter is 20-some pages. Obviously, we're not going through all that. Um, 
Here, what we can do, just to get to the witch that's noted in the first paragraph of the blurb. Here, let's get to this very last scene of the first chapter. Later that evening, Steve and Jocelyn were both sprawled in the living room. Not in their regular spot on the couch, but on the divan. 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 Div whatever. On the other side of the room, watching the late show on CBS. Matt was in bed. Tyler was upstairs working on his laptop. The pale TV light flickered on the metal chains around the blind woman's body. Or at least on the links that weren't rusted. Beneath the dish cloth, the dead flesh at the open corner of her mouth twitched. Barely visible. It pulled on the jagged black stitches that sewed her mouth tight, except for that one loose stitch in the corner that stuck out like a bent piece of wire. Jocelyn yawned and stretched herself against Steve. He guessed it wouldn't be long before she dropped off to sleep. When they went upstairs half an hour later, the blind woman was still there, something of the night that the night had now recovered. Well, so this would be the witch then that will just show up in people's houses and just stand there. And as I'm skimming in the previous selection, it's during dinner where um, she just kind of shows up and watches Steve and his family eat. And one of them just takes a cloth and just puts it over her head. And I'm seeing in the previous scene, she only moved once. When Matt's high-pitched laugh sounded through the dining room, she tilted her head as if she were listening. Hmm. So. My goodness. That. I was wondering on how, reading that first paragraph of the blurb, how they would be noting this witch just wandering. And, and I got to say, this is. Mm. And my goodness, the technology thing comes into play in this previous dinner scene as well, because they have to report where the witch shows up. Now, Consarnet, why did they talk about technology then in the jacket, in the blurb in the jacket? See, now here's the thing that would have been cool. I, I have nothing wrong with Thomas's story. And this chapter, I, I lo I'm loving it. I love this blending of a timeless curse in the modern day and how technology is utilized to battle black magic. I have no problem with that. And I think for those of you who love modern dark fantasy, who love that bit of horror that fits, it's not, you know, shoehorned into a modern time frame. I think you, you'd love the flavors uh, that you'd be drinking here. But I, I, again, I have to emphasize just how these blurbs people write for books to go on the jacket, to get people's attention. Why on earth do they feel like they got to overtell it? 
why on earth would they have to, just so you know, it's modern day with technology and blah, blah, blah. Why would you have to tell me, yeah, they have everything quarantined and on surveillance and then things, bad things happen after the other stuff. Happens. It's like, why? Why are you giving me the summation of the plot? I want to learn that as I go here. I mean, the first scene I read to you, you wouldn't have a clear sense of the time until the third page where they mention an iPod. Otherwise, we get, you know, a sense of place, we get a little bit of modern-ish as far as glue and um, illusion with PVC pipes with the with how the organs constructed, but we really don't get a sense of the modern until the iPod is mentioned. Why on earth did we have to be told this is modern day and it's got all sorts of high tech stuff? Why can't we have learned that by reading that this witch is so normal around here that people have an app for reporting her. Why did we have to already get that sense in the blurb? It just kind of killed some of the surprise of the world building. So I do not like, I don't like what this publisher chose to do. Okay. But I, I do highly recommend the story. <sighs> Spoiler blurb aside, um, and especially for those of you who love a ghost story, a haunting that can literally walk into your home, well, then Hex is certainly a brew you should be drinking. And what shall we read from next week? We'll see. So until then, read on, share on, and write on my friends. Cheers.